Brothers to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, we're going to start by asking a very straightforward question. What was the point of Ireland playing Italy in front of a less than half full soldier field in Chicago? I believe there were one million points. Um, I agree with you. <clears throat> I agree with your rhetorical question. How do we go anywhere from that answer? <laughs> No, I think that it's not a real rivalry. Ireland and Italy isn't a great rugby rivalry. I think out of the last 25 matches, Ireland have won 24 of them. The exception being the one in 2013 when Draco lost his temperature and stood in somebody's tummy. Um, so if you, the relevance lies in a competition setting that Italy are part of the Six Nations. And that's why it's an important game if it's to be an important game at all. So to take it out of that context, um, and I, I would say that it devalues uh, the Six Nations to a degree because it just makes Six Nations exist um, in its own sort of protected environment where you play these specific teams uh, on a in a given sequence and just have a random single one-off game against another Six, Six Nations team, it devalues them. Just like the World Cup warm-up matches are devalued. Nobody considers them as proper uh, test matches. It's like, how'd you get on the Six Nations against Wales in... I think in 2015 we, play, we played Wales three times. That's my memory of it. So we played them in the Six Nations, then we played them in uh, a away warm-up fixture which we won very handily, and then a home warm-up fixture, which we lost. Yeah. You know, who who remembers those home-and-away fixtures? Those World Cup warm-ups are just a lottery to see who gets a distraught, uh, like a terrible injury that rules them out of the World Cup. It's just like, what happens? So I think we played in front of something like 36,500 people in Soldier Field, two second-strain sides going toe-to-toe, so to speak. Um... Yeah, an awful lot of problems with it. What did you think? I thought it was... Aside from the money, I thought it was a pretty pointless endeavour, given how empty it was. I was more put out, though, by Wales and Scotland um, for the exact same reason. And it was a full house, but I was just there thinking, God, like this is just soulless. Like This is this is just a friendly. It's just an exhibition match. So like the Six Nations, I know they've given it a trophy. Um... You know, so it's a thing now. But to my mind, it always had a mystique. Like, you always wanted to win. You, you wanted to win the Six Nations or you wanted to win the Triple Crown or the Grand Slam. Probably for Ireland as much as anything, the, the Triple Crown. Like, it, mm. it, it, it held a place in the popular consciousness. Um, 
the fact that there's a shiny bauble at the end probably makes for you know better pictures and something tangible but you know it's, it's still the game's about the glory ultimately um so to see Wales play Scotland in front of a full house, I was there going play play well for my hoop, and I was just there thinking this is this is killing the golden goose. Um, so Ireland going off to play in front of you know like a, an empty soldier, half empty soldier half field, full. half full. Yeah, like it was ah, uh, it's just pieces of meat. I thought. I agree. Next question. Um, do you think Schmidt just looks at it very uh, qualitatively and says this is a game where I can um, try out a certain segment of my squad knowing that we'll probably win the game anyway absolutely and, they, but, and do you think yeah no well uh, subsequent to that do you think there's like we absolutely hockeyed them like at a counter should we take anything from the sort of like level of execution that we displayed in the second half or do you still think it wasn't really worth no it? I don't think I don't think there's a huge amount to be taken from it you know Italy that's a, an undercooked not even half strength Italian team we're not going to get to play an undercooked not half strength Italian team in the in the World Cup you know? I was surprised by how well Ireland won by um, and I think again that that's that's my I guess memory of, of Ireland coming unstuck against Italian teams um, and losing to them. So like I mean I thought the handicap when was, was that though that was going back. That's, oh, that, that's going back a long time, but yeah. I st- like I still have it in I still remember. So I was I was quite surprised st- still by just how well drilled a Joe Schmidt team is, like how tight it is. So even if they're not all recognized combinations and like I know our depth is better um and when the Italians had the ball so like my basic memory of it was that Ireland had the ball for the first 20 minutes and the Italians had the ball for the second 20 minutes mm. and the sort of the offloads in the attacking game and the, the willingness that the Italians showed uh I was quite impressed with it but they, did, they didn't they didn't score it they scored from the, the interception and they they just didn't really get a kick in the mm. second half and Ireland's relentlessness. We've uh, shown that a number of times against Italy. The yeah. ability to pile on the points in the last 20 minutes especially. And it just struck me that like the Italians played a sort of an aspirational style of game and Ireland played a relentless style of game and the relentless style just proved to be so effective. Um, I saw, I think it was Rory O'Connor sort of referring to it as a ground and pound, like, running the parallel with the Chicago Bears whose home they were in uh, the Monsters of Midway um, so it, it, I, it was it was impressive from that point of view and you know it was pretty reassuring but I completely agree with you I mean like the last time we played the Italians outside the Six Nations in a meaningful match was in Wembley and it was quite fraught they were really good they just in the World Cup in, they were in our group. Olympic Park I think it was actually. Olympic Park yeah. or Wembley was it, it was oh Park. yeah we were poor that day. We underperformed. Except for one man. I think we all remember. Travis. Try saving tackle. In terms of individual performances, uh, obviously Jordan Larmer stands out. And uh, I think it was you that tweeted from the account. See you, Rob. 
It was um, a, real, a, a real low class tweet. That uh, was. Rob Kearney has um, tweeted us back saying, fuck off, Demented Mole. I never liked you. Um, Rob Kearney's 50 50. I'm president, you lads. <laughs> Rob Kearney's 50 50 for the game. Um, so, do you think the obvious thing is we'll just stick Jordan Armour in there at 15 for his second start against Argentina? Even bearing in mind his woes at fullback against Toulouse, where he did had a, a mixed performance. Yes. Is there any other option? The other options are Will Addison, who, even in a match where Ireland won by 50 points, struggled a little bit, I thought, to get up to international, the pace of international. It was quite reassuring to me to see that the guys that came on didn't just uh, saunter through it. That international rugby is still hard. The guys you're playing against are still really good. They're really big. They're committed. And to put a bit of a gap between you and them, you have to be really good. Like You have to be Gary Ringrose or you have to be Jordan Larmer. There really has to be something about you. It's not just a case of you stick one guy in a green jersey like from the stand and uh, he'll run past everyone in blue because they're exhausted. That, that doesn't work. Um, so who else is there? Uh, Conway's the other oh, Conway yeah of the guys that are in the squad so we sort of went through Tiernan Halloran we went through Zebo the last time and the other one is Robbie Henshaw mm. um, I don't think this Robbie I can't Henshaw see, I can't see him I suppose Robbie Henshaw played about half an hour for Leinster at fullback which looked like a request from the national coach he obviously cut his teeth at Connacht and played an entire season there at fullback um, but he hasn't played any rugby of consequence at fullback for I'm going to say six years might be longer he made his day before Ireland actually at fullback yeah under Les Kiss yeah uh, in 2013 yeah that is five years so it is, so it is five, five, years, five, six seasons five, yeah. five and a half years ago six seasons um, yeah. I read a lot of tweets saying oh he's wasted it Henshaw's wasted it 12 and you know it's, it's a bash merchant waste and, and you know First of all, I think, is, is there some truth to this? And then I think, well, no, Joe Schmidt moved him to number 12 specifically. You know, he'd never played a game, a professional game at 12, and Joe Schmidt moving there in a test match against South Africa. That's my memory of it. So when people are saying Henshaw's wasted at a 12, he's, uh, he's, he's, it's limiting to, to play him as a crash-up centre. They're basically saying that Joe Schmidt doesn't know what he's doing. So if you're one of the people who types that shit into Twitter, <laughs> stop it. I think Henshaw's really good at 12. Um, I just think the the incentive to move him is that I thought Bundy Aki was really good at the weekend. I thought the obvious the obvious standouts were Larmer and Tyburn. Oh, yeah. That's um, almost. Like they, were, they were excellent. And it was really reassuring to see... Uh, like Larmer is just like Larmer makes you laugh when you when you see him do it. It's just brilliant. Talked about him last year as the most exciting player since Simon Gagan, and like his unpredictability. Ty Burns different because he was probably the best player, probably the best forward anyway, probably the best player in the league for the last two years. And then when he moved to Munster at the beginning of the season, he didn't look that great. He looked all right, mm. you know, but he didn't look that great. Um, and you're sort of going, oh man, if the wheels come off, like is it all the minutes and scarlets and you're there going, but well, I can't really see why that would be. He hasn't been injured. Um, so, I don't know, what's going on here? So to see him play as well as he did um, against the Italians was was great. Um, 
it's I suppose it's a question of what's his best position. He's playing more second row than back row, but he's got there's a lot about him that marks him out as a potential six. And then I thought the guys that played like pretty well, um, like not outstanding, but you could couldn't really have any complaints were uh, Bundy, Ringrose, and. Jack Conan. I thought Jack Conan mm, had his yeah. first ever game. Front row subs, I thought were quite good as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a different game, but I thought I thought the guys that started, like I thought Jack Conan had his best match uh, pretty ever in a serious game. And I understand, like, look, they push, you know, fifty points past an Italian team in a friendly international. So how serious is that? But and the criticism I'd have had of Conan is frequently that he's a flat track bully and it's that he sort of comes into the match when the team is 20 points up or 30 points up against like less than oppressive opposition or even even against oppressive opposition you know if they're playing Montpellier or something like that but I thought that at the weekend he got on the ball and he made tackles when the match was in the balance mm. um, if it ever was in the balance certainly when it was close and uh, he did sort of the unglamorous carrying inside and I thought he basically did all the stuff that I wanted him to do which was get on the ball and and just make carries rather than kind of waiting for it and make your tackles and I thought Bundy looked really fit so where that went was it means by playing Henshaw fullback you could have Bundy and Ringrose and Henshaw on the same team it also means that you play Henshaw out of position at this stage because it's been ages since he's played fullback. Um, there's a special, there's a familiarity to the position that's required. Um, so it'd be unfair, I think, to pick him against Argentina and particularly against New Zealand. Although you know everybody's going to welcome the you know God, game is going to welcome the opportunity to play against New Zealand, but that's going to be tough. So no, I think he'll go with Larmer. What do you think we can expect from Argentina, even if we're not massively excited about the prospect of the game? I didn't see really it. good line out was my memory of them last the last time. Uh, I think that because of that, they'll actually have the fair their fair share of the ball. It'll be curious. Um, last year when we played them in November, was the team was. It, in Horcade's decline. So now what they've done is that um, they wanted Super Mario, they've got Super Mario, um, they lost a dismal se- test series against Wales, they beat South Africa then during. So, like all of this is known. I think it depends how much Argentina focus on this match, how much they make this the main match of their autumn tour. Because if they don't, I think we'll win. If they do, I think we might win anyway. But um, it could be a really close, tense test match. Because there have been a few good test matches against it. There's been a few like with real niggle against uh, Argentina. Mm. There's definitely been a few real niggle against Argentina. Um, and there have been matches that Ireland have won. But I think that... Um, I think they're going to have a lot of the ball. The Argies? Yeah. Which is unusual against us. Yeah. Who do you think we will pick uh, in the centre and at second row? I think the fact that Henshaw didn't travel means that he'll play 
the other two did travel so I don't know I suppose I think he's going to pick uh, Gary Ringrose and then I think that in the second row James Ryan well I think James Ryan and I'd say Devon yeah will play Devon he played off the bench the weekend Um, and do we presume a first choice back row looks like uh, Stander O'Mahony and now Josh van der Fleer. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we're talking about a selection that when this gets released, the team be picked. So I wouldn't be surprised if he picks Sean O'Brien because he wants to see what Sean is like at international level before playing New Zealand. Mm. Uh, because I think, so refer to this recently, that when coaches have, like Joe Schmidt has had huge emotional highs with Sean O'Brien. Um, they could say the same for Dan Levy but I think more Shawnee than, than anyone else um, or as much Shawnee Shawnee didn't play in the Grand Slam right so pretty as much CJ Stander but anyway he's had huge emotional highs with Sean O'Brien and I think he'll want Shawnee to recapture what he believes he's capable of and I think he'll test him against Argentina Speaking of uh, excellent Irish sevens Chris Henry has retired uh, for the good of his health he seems to have uh, a lot of a lot of people speaking very highly of him um, he had a very good couple of years for Ireland in 13 and 14 when he was the starting was, was he starting in pretty much all both those championships well 14 was the one which we won 13 was second kidneys oh sorry 13 and 14 and 15 then um, yeah he's the last link as well to Ulster's Golden Generation, born in 84 and 85. Himself, Tommy Bow, Andrew Trimble, Stephen Ferris, Ron Caldwell, Lewis Stevenson, John Andrus, Paul Marshall. All born within about 18 months of each other. Most of them went on to play for Ireland. Some of them, Ireland A. Gareth Steenson was another one who never played for, for either team, but went on, still going on to play for Exeter. So, Chris Henry's announced his retirement, you know, two two months into the season which is odd I find it strange on the back of Jan Diesel announcing two weeks ago and, and Pete Brown announcing two weeks before that so they've lost three forwards in a month well into the season um, Brown's was due to um, concussion as given in his statement Diesel and Chris Henry are basically saying it's wear and tear uh, it's the the timing of the retirements and the reasons given to me are strange. I I think that there's probably I think that there's probably more to, more of a story than uh, is being released. I wouldn't want to speculate any further than that. But it, just all three happening w- once the season has already started is is seems very odd to me. I hadn't thought of it in any wider context than just uh, Chris Henry um, going out at, as, I, as I imagine most guys go out as more and more guy go, guys go out so I mean the two most high profile Irish retirements in my memory are sorry recent memory are Paulie doing his hamstring against uh, France and like going out in the shield and then Drico just convincing his body to get to the end of the Six Nations and then just like, like not <laughs> falling apart is a bit much. 
but he just he, the, the interest wasn't there mm. mentally he he and but what an incredible force of will to be able to to do it mm. and be able to do it at such a high standard and again it probably makes me appreciate just how special those guys are like what what makes them so good because i was very fond of chris henry in that i thought he got a lot out of his um his ability i thought that he had, he had, he had that good run of of games for ireland um which again looking at it's it's probably only about like eight or nine tests in the space of like a year and a half where he had a run but he was definitely ireland's starting seven for that stage and He's probably a guy that like wasn't he wasn't a really good athlete like he wasn't Stephen Ferris um, so I felt that there was a bit of an everyman about him but then talking to guys who played underage rugby with him at, like at rep level they said no like, he was he was brilliant like he was the best player in our age and it, again it's a reminder of just how difficult it is to play international rugby and I think he's just gone out like most guys will just go out where just like the legs are gone the shoulders are gone the like recovering from injuries is harder and harder picking them up yeah. is easier and easier and when you never unless you were really fit like you never had that pace uh, or you never had that super strength like to keep up with guys like that you had to be at the peak of your powers to do it and I think why that is so important is because you probably don't realise it. You probably get more of an intimation about it when you retire because when you're doing it, it it's all you've ever known. Like, you've always been the best athlete. You, it's it's. But the older you get, you probably look back and you go, God, like they're, they're the best days or some of the best days of your life. Like, there's more experiences to come in his life. Um, he's still a young man, but you doubtless look back at, at you know, playing in front of crowds at the peak of your athletic ability, playing in a team and just winning the like, Six Nations. They were glorious. Like, yeah. They were just brilliant. And But do you know isn't do you not find it odd that two months into a season which you've done a pre season for I don't want to pick on Chris Henry because I really like him. But the the run of three retirements in a row in Ulster in, in a month, all forwards, all mid season, saying, Oh, I'm retiring now. Oh, that's odd. Like, these are pros. Um, Ulster have changed their strength and conditioning guy. Mm. So Johnny Davis was there for for a long time, and then like he was he was dying the wall Ulster. Uh, he played for Duncan, like coached in Ulster. He so was of the course, ex winger like, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was the former winger. Yeah. yeah. So like when he when he Ulster didn't look fit last year. Um, but when Davis retired, like all he got thrown were garlands because like he's died in the wall Ulster, they're never gonna stab him in the back. Um I don't know if a change in conditioning regime has like John Daisel wasn't there forever and ever and ever. So but I, I don't know if a change in conditioning mm. regime has led to, to more guys feeling the strain. Certainly I I would just be inclined to find that he but these just, guys aren't young they're not young players you know they're yeah, coming towards the end of their careers anyway he just he just he's 34 and he just yeah. the road, he just worn the thread off the tyres but you see but the thing about Chris Henry is he didn't actually play for Ulster until he was 24 well after his 24th birthday his Ulster yeah. debut came ridiculously late for a guy who went on to play for Ireland in a World Cup and win a Six Nations medal this fella hadn't even played for Ulster when he turned 24 like at that stage like your career in a lot of in a lot of ways is I find half over my my response there I think you can 
I don't want to rubbish stats, but I think you can resort to the number. I think what this makes me, what brings to mind is where we started the discussion about the point of these international matches. And I felt they talk about player welfare, but they don't demonstrate player welfare. Like they're not protecting guys in the tackle. So, you know, did Owen Farrell deserve mm. to get a yellow card? Yeah, like, I mean, if you want to stop guys taking outrageous hits, you, you have to make a few calls. And what you're saying is that until you start penalising the really high-profile guys in really high-profile games, you're not there. Yeah. And they're not there. Mm. And playing these nonsense matches that like that don't mean anything outside of the international window just for money, and then talking about player welfare. Against non-touring like, teams. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, what player welfare? So to see a guy retire, and I understand what you're saying. He came in, but like, there's no doubt that Chris Henry played to the end. Oh, of played hard as long as he yeah. possibly could. Played yeah, as hard as he could. Very serious, like and brain injury as well. Um, you know, just he just ran out, and mm. like it's just it's it's a really physical game, and this is what unfortunately it's not. It doesn't happen to everybody, but part of it is it happens to a sizable portion of guys. So, um. Wales, Wales, Scotland look full. Ireland, Italy didn't, but they just they have to they have to get the balance of it right. Yeah, I think I think one way of getting the balance of it right is by not playing internationals outside the window. Simple thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And good luck to Chris Henry. Good, yeah, and also I, I would like to restate that I think Chris Henry has been a super player for Ulster. But it's just, it was something which I only heard today and it did make my, uh, it just set, it just set me thinking again of, is there something else happening in Ulster? Because we haven't had lists of people retiring mid-season in any of the other provinces. No, that's, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. That's a mystery for another night though. <laughs> Someone needs to stop him. The cloud didn't like that. Referee blows for half time. Um, England snuck past South Africa by a single point. Um, and we'll leave aside the last minute controversy for a moment. Um, they were blessed to do so because uh, South Africa turned over, I think, five good attacking line outs where they kicked the ball to the corner from a penalty and then fucked up the line out. Um, when, as Havana said at half time, you know, maybe I'm a bit old school, but you could have just kicked your points and we'd be up 15-9 at halftime. Um, where do you think that leaves England looking into, like coming out of, was it five defeats in six before this and then going out to face the All Blacks? Difficult to beat in Twickenham. At least in the same place that they have been for years, that they're, they're very difficult to beat in Twickenham. A lot of their stuff is... It's, it's, if, if it's not on a knife edge, it's within a very slim margin. Um, like even for the Grand Slam last year, like we never really, really got away, got away from them and twicking them. Um, so they defended well. Uh, they have a big, strong team, um, and they're. They're pretty resilient. I think the probably the bit of fresh blood did them, and the fresh voices with John Mitchell did them no harm. Um, but they're probably putting this. They're probably. I don't feel he's building anything. Mm-hmm. 
I don't I don't feel that he's sort of rejuvenated the team sufficiently with uh, an influx of new blood. I, I like Billy Vanapola is still their best number eight and their best forward. Uh, I don't think he's figured out Dylan Hartley. I think that Sinclair as a starting test tight head isn't up to what Dan Cole gave them for pretty much the last decade. Um, they've got second rows. Uh, Owen Farrell is best when he's at 10 because he's just such a he's the main man. Mm-hmm. Um Johnny May looks good. Johnny May's improved a lot more than I thought he could. And uh, yeah, that's. But they're always going to be hard to beat there. The box missed a kick from in front of the post as well, let alone the. Yeah, the box have nobody to blame but themselves. England can take a lot of heart out of the fact that they won, but they're kidding themselves if they take anything more out of it because they were poor. Uh, they came back into it a little bit in the second half, but they were still uh, ordinary. Um, they're missing an awful lot of forwards. They had more or less a full back line there. You know, they were missing Anthony Watson, who's one wideout player in a team that's blessed an abundance of wideouts. Mm. Um, they're missing Manitou Laggy for the forty-sixth time yeah, in forty-seven games. Like, to say that you miss Manitou Laggy, like it puts Sean O'Brien's injuries into perspective. Manu Tulagi is like don't hang your don't hang anything on him. Don't hang a pair of pants on him, never mind a coat like. Has he played a game of consequence since that like New Zealand win? No, the the number that I read, or the number that I called out there is apparently how many times he's he's missed selection for England. Jesus. He's been selected and played once out of the last forty seven test matches. That's my understanding of it. It's second-hand news. But, um, you know, Henry Slade is a talented player who played poorly. Elliot Daly made Mike Brown look amazing simply by not being there. Uh, Everyone takes Mike Brown. They really hate him for some reason, you know, but he's a very good technical fullback and now he's he positions himself in the correct place he's very aggressive under the high ball he's very competent at the high ball Elliot Daly dropped the first three balls like two 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 bombs on the right and then the third one you know so I'm a fan of Elliot Daly a hugely talented player but as their fullback that is not the sort of shit you want to be seeing either from the stance or from looking back over your shoulders one of the players uh, a very disappointing first half I mean, a better second half but when you've been absolutely shit in the first half like having a better second half isn't that big an ask Farrell is a world class player and drags England round after him the moment like their pack is crap they've got a Tojay fucking nobody else of consequence Marley's retired uh, Mako and Billy Volopola who are sensational players are both injured and Cole just seems to be out of favour, injured. I don't know what the story is there. Uh, Cruz is okay, but Launchbury's injured. Laws is injured. Rob Shaw is injured. Like their whole, their whole fucking team is injured. Their whole pack is injured. You know, Tom Curry's a good little player. He's twenty years old. You know, is he? Would he? Would he make the Leinster squad? No. Mm. Like he wouldn't. He's not as good as any of Leinster's open sides any of them so you know 
That's not a fucking great start. Brad Shields, by the way, is just not as not the player he was billed as being. He is an ordinary player. He showed up for Wasps in the RDS. I didn't even realize he was playing until after I got a program after the match and he was there. Brad Shields is supposed to be this putative all-black captain. You know, there's going to be capped for New Zealand before his he switched allegiance to England from uh, Wellington. He is not. He is not all black material. Let's just say it moved him to a bigger house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brad Shields is a guy who stuck out because like he wasn't a complete another clanger. Like he did a few things, but again it was a reminder of how difficult it is to play international rugby like he looked he doesn't look like a test class player like if I think of uh, was I, who was I listening to Haskell wasn't on the telly that I, that I was listening to <laughs> he was on the television that I was listening <laughs> to on the TV that you were listening to but Haskell was a guy who didn't like didn't have the handling skills when he went down to play for the Highlanders and they used to laugh but like he ended up getting picked because he's ju- he was big and physical and he had the instinct to make tackles and he was a great guy to have on the blind side particularly playing in Twickenham mm. um, and he, he sort of had that belonging and like James Haskell is not the best English back row by any stretch of the imagination from the last 15 years but he, he was a guy who was capable of playing so England do produ- produce like test match flankers and I don't think Brad Shields is one of them. Um, like the amount of shit that Chris Robshaw gets. Yeah. Uh, Chris Robshaw is hands down, like you'd have to be an absolute moron not to agree that he is a much better player than Brad Shields. He's just a, he's just a better player in every regard. Like I don't know how... It's a, it's a real credit to the Wellington system uh, and to New Zealand rugby in general that... The, the sum of the whole is greater than its constituent parts because Brad Shields, if he was playing for Northampton, you're just going, oh, here's like a Callum Clark type figure. You know, there are better players in English rugby. In a, there's a bit, Don Harmon. Don, Don Harmon is a better player. Boy for like English back rows not getting yeah. picked by, by Eddie Jones for reasons best known to Eddie Jones. I think the reason this match is so interesting is that it, it was a proper autumn time test. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. it was a touring team coming up. It was a full Twickenham. It was it was why this window has captured the imagination is that it's it matches played against opposition that you rarely saw. Now, you see them far more frequently. But, like, New Zealand don't come here every single year. Mm. And it's played in the gloaming and... It livened like November is a tough month. Oh. Same way, like the whole of winter is tough in the northern hemisphere, yeah. bar like Christmas. You know, I mean, so it lightens up the the beginning, the onset of winter. Um, and it's why playing like to give out it again, like Ireland, Italy, Scotland, Wales, like those matches belong in February mm. or mm. March in a competitive environment. In a competitive environment where like there's a history to it. And we talked about the value that caps have. We talked like if, if you're picked to play against or, or against Wales in the Six Nations. Like, that is a That's a massive match. cap. Everyone wants tickets. Yeah. Mm. Everyone knows it's on. Like, it's big news on the telly. It's big news in Wales. It's big news in Ireland. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a weight of history with it. And it's far from the biggest match in the Six Nations. So... And England playing against South Africa is a big game. Yeah. You know, uh, England have a lot yeah. of colonial history with, 
with all the Southern Hemisphere rugby playing nations. But there's also just the history of, recent history of niggle between England and South Africa. It was a very clean game. Very, very clean. There was one instance, which I'm not sure a lot of people haven't <laughs> talked about it, but that wasn't even dirty. That no. was just good, tough, hard northern tackling. Good rugby um, tackling of putting head in the wrong side and smashing. It was also noticeable that like you know, the the two previous games that South Africa had played against the Kiwis yeah. had been what 42, 40 Classics. and 32, Classics. 30. Yeah. And then this one was, a, you know, 11, one try, 11, 12. And like, you know, it's kind of like a wrestle in the mud by comparison. Absolutely agree. It was a good point. Uh, because, you know, it's... It, Firstly, England's defence has been upgraded by the uh, addition of Mitchell. You know, I think there's always a portion of... There's a, a period of time when the defence coach is effective because what he teaches is new and everyone buys into it or is convinced, a different word which doesn't often get used, they're convinced by the idea. What I mean by that is that they buy into it. And then that goes away a little bit because it's not new anymore and what the defence coach keeps on saying is the same thing, essentially. So it changes. So while they had, for a stage, they had the leader of the Wolf Pack, Vrum Vrum, as their defence coach, changing up to Mitchell is just giving them something new. It's giving them new impetus. And they did defend well. Yeah, it was noteworthy that in the last... Well, I mean, Joe Schmidt is the, the, the common uh, man. But that with Farrell and Les Kiss, a lot of it comes down to energy. With, with Farrell, a lot of it comes down to... A lot of the, the messages that come out of camp... Sorry, I'm going to repeat myself. A lot of the, the reports that come out of camp talk about his messaging, talk about his energy, talk about the belief that he has... Um, and he comes across as a very charismatic figure. And then you see Owen, and you, you think of Andy Farrell's background of like, Man of Steel and playing for Wigan when he was in his teens and captaining Great Britain and playing for Britain when he was in his teens or like he was 20 or something like that. No, he was in his teens. And like then playing international rugby so long after that. And then you think of, you think of Les Kiss, who... It's horrible to say it, but he seemed he seemed to be found out when he went to like do the Ulster job. Now, like it was a really really tough season to be in charge of Ulster, but seemed to be the difference between a coach and a director of rugby. And that as a coach, he he was just able to bring the sort of the energy of his personality and to to convince guys. But that word convince is is completely spot on because it's it's getting it off the ground like half a tick quicker. It's everybody working together that that makes defense um because there isn't that much science to it no i agree but they did look england looked good and they look revitalized in defense they couldn't do a goddamn thing with the ball for the first half obviously but in defense uh, they look good south africa fielded a team which was very like a lot of older south african teams in that it was populated by huge africaners up front and when like you go through the uh, players, Kitsoff is obviously a funny looking chap, very Irish looking. Mm. Malcolm Marks is like Bismarck's younger brother. Malherba, you know, Ibn Etzebeth, Peter Steffi's Hoy, 
looks like an experiment. You know, they see a Khaleesi, Dwayne Vermeulen, and who is the... Vermeulen was playing open side, or he's playing seven. And them, then so. Warren Whiteley. So they have like Whiteley, one, yeah. they've one, they've one black dude in their pack. Yeah. And seven Africans guys, or sorry, six Africans guys, and the fellow who plies, tries to play a bit of football at number eight, and they all want to drop him. <laughs> surely Peter Stifty Toy could play number eight. <laughs> Well, surely for Mullen to play number yeah. eight, like the best. Yeah, but it was like it was really world, going yeah. back to an old-fashioned uh, pre-transformation pack. Yeah, you know, Khaleesi is is uh, like a, obviously a huge difference to them, but like there's there's no beast in there. There's no um, chili boiler ralapel. I know he's a. Yeah, you got done for steroids. Yeah, but performance. There is yeah. no, there is no trace of transformation in that pack. No, there's one standout figure, uh, but transformation may as well not have happened. No, because Khaleesi probably is good enough to have got in that team fourteen years ago. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> speaking of Farrells and defense, uh, we should address the last minute tackle that uh, Owen Farrell made. Um, on Toby Esterhazy. Um I thought it was a, a penalty for a no arms tackle because he didn't wrap his arms at all um, I saw several defences of it from uh, former players Owen Redden made a very kind of what did Redden say? He's very he said that he, he he thought that like we got the arm around the ball. He was trying to go for a, a strip, and it was just such a big contact. He didn't get get it anywhere anywhere near actually getting the strip, and he just made two. It's very strips. difficult to define where the tackle, what the tackle <laughs> yeah. is in law. If and, you look up the tackle in the IRB the, laws, the whole thing of of like there. the attempted wrap is um, it's one of the things that kind of it's been reinforced. I think certainly over the last uh, ten years, when when hits started getting bigger. And I, I went to look back over. We were, we were showing each other a, a clips of various big smashes. You showed me uh, Cliff Palu's one on Robert Carney from a few years ago, and um, I sent the video of uh, Danny Russo getting cleaned out by Brian O'Driscoll in two thousand and nine. Mm. Common denominator in that one and the one last weekend was Stuart Barnes immediately going, "That's a penalty." He didn't wrap his arms, and he was right both times. Discuss. I think you've done all the discussion there yourself. I couldn't tell from <laughs> from <laughs> I couldn't tell from the text messages who thought it was a yellow card or not. I was ah uh, man, it's. I think the reason that any player and the reason that I would say it wasn't a yellow card is that there's something really admirable about Farrell's leadership. Having having played so well, having kicked. Okay, Elliot Daly got the long kick, but in and it, it's not that easy being captain of England at the moment because they're not that good now they won't they're not that bad either mm. um, but it isn't an armchair ride and he'd made a tackle a few minutes earlier where he'd stripped the ball out and mm. like the South Africans should have gone for a drop kick in the faces because they're right underneath the sticks in the 22 and Pollard was on the pitch and why didn't you know why didn't they go for a drop kick at that stage so Farrell had done that and then I have to say if that had been an Irish player making that tackle I'd have been jumping off the couch, cheering him um, for, for for just like the willingness, the willingness to make it. 
I couldn't but like his head was on the wrong side there was no way he was getting his arm around to wrap like I thought with the Cliffy Palu one uh, and this is nine years ago like they're much harsher on tackles now than they were nine years ago and oh so you don't like Rob and well Rob Carney bounced off Cliffy Palu before Palu had a chance to wrap his arm so did, so did uh, Van der Westhuizen so, so today or Westhuizen or Danny Russo in, in the Brian O'Driscoll one. Which was, which was... That was a blindside shoulder to the head. Yeah, it was very... Uh, no, excuse me, that was a heavy collision. Um, so, I, I was amazed given how they refereed the tackle now um, that he didn't get a penalty. I thought it was a penalty. I, I thought it was a penalty, definitely. And I, I admire Owen Farrell for all the same things. And I don't wouldn't hold any... Uh, animus towards even the the type of tackle uh, it's it's not especially bad but um, no, I thought it was a penalty every day of the week and the reason it wasn't given is because it's England at home and he's the captain and he's the captain so that that to me was you know the referee should have got stronger backup from his you could say that the, all three members of the refereeing team discussed it and they came to say that means that they're right it doesn't mean that they're right I thought he blew it big time. I thought I said in in one of the discussions two weeks ago maybe um, that the the laws won't have changed until they start sending off. Uh, like I don't think it was a sending off offense. No, it wasn't probably. Um, I I I said they wouldn't. The laws wouldn't change until they start sending off like big players in big games. Although you know. Had they penalised the captain of England in the last minute in kick in kick range for a borderline? But that's what they're trying to do. They're yeah. trying to get rid of the borderline. But like the they didn't. incidences, they didn't. exactly. Well, they're not Absolutely. going to then. No, they're not. Well, they're not going to do it when Sam Kane comes in to decapitate someone next weekend. But, uh, Sam Kane's got a broken neck and won't be doing it to anybody. Ian. They won't be doing it when I don't know. Uh, Already Savea comes in and does it to someone. I don't know if he's dirty, but he's not dirty. Like, Jerome Kano's one was like, there was far less intent on him to injure Jamie Roberts. Jamie Roberts ran into his, his shoulder and knocked himself out of you. Well, me. I think the one that is the obvious one to draw a parallel with or a contrast from is Danny Cipriani's on Niles Scannell. Like, Cipriani saw a straight red for that. A straight red. Yeah. Um, like, you don't get you don't get let off for attempt, not, you know, uh, no, attempting I, to not high tackle someone even if you do well, I, like I think attempting the, to not wrap the arm the mitigation atten- is comes with oh he tried to wrap but he, he didn't you know the arms the arms went up and it was too hard a hit to wrap yeah but you didn't wrap but the mitigation is you tried ergo it's a penalty instead of a penalty in a yellow card no, the, the mitigation was that he tried so it's not even a penalty that's what that's what the, I know but what I'm saying is the correct okay yeah yeah refereeing decision that I would give in yeah. such a certain because clearly I have moral rectitude in this situation the mitigation comes in with the fact that he tried to rap and it was a technical infringement and it's just a penalty exactly the mitigation isn't like I was trying I was explaining this recently to somebody in a way that made great sense to me if you tuck your elbow into your side your shoulder becomes part of your body if you raise your elbow away from your side, your shoulder becomes part of your arm. And there is a huge difference in hitting power and solidity of hitting that. So I always refer to, like sometimes you read people and you go, he led with the shoulder. 
you're taught how to tell. You don't, you, what are you supposed to lead with your, your face or yeah. your hands? You are supposed to lead with your shoulder. Then you're supposed to wrap, right? So even with the shoulders, one thing. What you're not supposed to do is hide or tuck your arm away. It has to be a part of the tackle. Agreed? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that I... I know. With Farrell, we saw yeah. that he did hide or tuck his arm. Now, he only got it wrong by a matter of milliseconds, but Ruby is all about... It's all and, about and, tiny, and tiny... Like, if a ball goes forward by a half inch, it's a knock-on. Yeah. And he hit a guy coming from... Approaching from his right with his right-hand shoulder. Mm. So he, he was never going to wrap his left arm around. Yeah. He wasn't in the position to wrap his he, right... Good if point. He was, if he was going to hit him with his right shoulder, he wasn't in a position to wrap his right arm around with yeah. him either. Like, you just... You can't do it. It doesn't... It's, it's And it it's wasn't not, a high hit. No. You know? And it was also... Um, it, it was a like a wallop of a hit. Like, I have so much respect for the intent that uh, Farrell had putting in, putting that shot in. But realistically, it's a penalty. It just is. Yeah. I, I, I think if they were trying to... Um, Who's they? Uh, World Rugby is trying to... Um, I don't think World... I think World Rugby would have been happier if Angus Gardner had given a penalty. I think Angus Gardner, as a referee, individual referee, steered clear of how World Rugby has been instructing referees because he didn't want to... It wasn't clear enough for him to give. It was a borderline incident, and it wasn't clear enough for him to give a penalty against mm. the home captain in a one-point game. Um, do you? How do you expect England to get on against the All Blacks? I was having a look just, to, I guess, to contextualise it. I was having a look back at an article that was like ten classic games against the All Blacks, and they were really. It was on the Telegraph's website, and it was ten classic games for, by England against in, into, in, in, at home as well. And it was mostly just like their ten most recent ones. It wasn't a particularly, wasn't searching through the depths uh, too much. But um, the thing I did notice was that actually the scores are generally really, really tight. There's mm. very little in between them. Um, I but I th- I mean I think this New Zealand team is going to. I think it'll outclass England, but it mightn't be as it mightn't be a pummeling on the scoreboard in the same way that it was a low-scoring match at the week, last weekend. It could be yeah, a low-scoring match. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I don't think it'll be. I, I see New Zealand scoring points uh, far more so than than South Africa. Um, but England England raise their game against New Zealand and New Zealand typically go into their shells a little bit against England. I don't know if we stretch to a very, very wide post-colonial hangover line of thinking, but New Zealand tend not to play their best against England. Now, the time that England beat them under Stuart Lancaster has to be uh, said that New Zealand were suffering from the norovirus for the entire week. That was not the vintage New Zealand side that I looked on paper. It was a very ill... Asterisk Sorry. with a large dab of vomit. Correcto. When my records show... When was the last time England played in New Zealand? 2012. 2014. 2014. Ages ago. Which was the 2014 game? Is that the one where they... England lost 21-24 in Twickenham and they had come back from a three-test series, which they'd lost 3-0. Um... 
but they'd only lost the second test in Dunedin, 27-28. They lost the first test, 15-20 in Auckland. I, I'm I amazed. I am amazed that it's that long since they've played the All Blacks. I'm not amazed because they racked up an 18-test winning streak that included no games against the All Blacks. Good point. And Fair one enough. game against Uruguay in the World Cup when they'd already been knocked out. So, to how do I think England will do... I don't remember that. I think series. that the strength, like England's size, England's strength, the amount of like all England. But no, why, why, you, so why you say England's size? England's size against South Africa was undersized. I think the guys that they bring on, like I think the the guys that they brought off the bench, scrummaging wise, were better. Like England, England don't England and France don't face the same challenges that the Celtic nations do traditionally of. Um, even Argentina do with it. when Argentina can't pick their players from outside of Argentina they don't have four test class props mm. so the two guys that they bring on so either they, they just play their, their first choice guys for as long as possible which means that they'll, they'll crumble in you know the last 20 minutes that they're on the pitch or they bring on guys who just aren't good enough England don't have that like England, England don't have that challenge. Like I mean, the the props that they brought on were actually better than the fellows that they replaced mm. from a set piece perspective, mm. and they they have a they just have a lot of big men, which in a, in a physical game played at Twickenham. But then they're not picking their big men. Like you know, yeah. Big Ben Morgan is not there at number eight. You would think with with uh, Billy injured and Nathan Hughes injured, then you go, okay, well obviously it's. You know, it's Ben Morgan is here. Your third choice number eight, and he's a great one to have. No, we're not going to pick him. You yeah, know? it's an odd choice. There was a Frano article today about how um, so much of New Zealand's, uh, so many of New Zealand's tries are scored straight from scrums, and that the scrummage for them used to be not a weakness, but not not to be as strong a base for their attack as it is now. I thought England scrum. Had a bit of a tough time against South Africa last week. England's pack was small against South Africa. South Africa massively outsized them in the front row, not so much in the second row, but clearly in the back row. Mm. Like England's back row was small. Eddie Jones talked about the notes that he got the players to make when they were on the Lions mm. tour in 2017, and he says, "Look, we've concentrated on what we want to do." I just. Uh, from he's saying that they're they're big. I think they they'll struggle. I think they'll struggle like for callousness against against New Zealand. Funnily enough, I do agree with the post-colonial hangover that New Zealand have. I they don't play their most effervescent stuff in Twickenham. Never, no. never do. No, they lose games that they should win. And I got going back to the Jamie Joseph stamp and Bracken. Is that ninety ninety three ninety three? Yeah. Like yeah, it's that 25 was, years ago, but th- there's, there's that a was, lot of... Like that a, was an enormous pack. Yeah. Not to dwell too much on matches from 25 years ago, but... Well, no, no, no. Matches, but I mean, at the same time, they played matches in 98. They played up in Old Trafford. They played England. The 26-all draw. England were yeah. a coming team. Uh, Under like that Woodward, was the basis yeah. of the team that was going to put the World Cup together. And, like, New Zealand but still, that was, that was a great New Zealand team. Yeah, so they... They've never... They've never put England away by 30 points. Except for the World Cup semi-final 
Good point. The ninety-five one, but not not in England. Yeah, no, mm. not 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 in Twickenham now. Uh, that's I'm looking forward to that game more so, much more so than I'm looking forward to Ireland Argentina. Game is uh, Ireland Argentina doesn't do an awful lot for me. Like we played them last last uh, November. Yeah, we played a lot of uneventful November games against them, always with the knowledge that they have done us what how many times now in the world cup three yeah and we've done them once in the world cup so it's it's not bloodless but it's it's just like what's there's a bit of a sense of oh we 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 all know that this is the argentina who we're going to play in a real game in in the world cup yeah they're all going to be thinking of the cup and libertador is fine (laughs) exactly okay it's on uh, the same day the second leg no the first leg is on uh, the first leg is on that day okay um who um this week who do you think who do you think uh, the kiwis will pick in their back line for England, for England yeah do you think it'll be like do you think sopoanga has got a chance of starting in either no, of these games or no, it's just no, no, definitely no, no, no. definitely Barrett Barrett and who do you think plays fullback Mackenzie or Jordy or Jordy Ben Smith Ben Smith Jordy Barrett I think and Ben Smith in the wing with yeah. Reku Ioane in the yeah. wing. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time that New Zealand have become a little bit conservative, but in a very rational way. Um, you who's know, he playing in the middle? He plays Crotty and... And that Jack Goodyear fella has been really impressive. Yeah, okay. So he plays, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're all looking forward to it. 